Rutherford Issues on News Radio WGNS. Mr. Baseman, you do the bubba. Good morning, this is Bill Krause. How are you all this morning? We're very, very fortunate and delighted to have with us as our guest this morning, uh, Dr. Kent Seiler. And Kent is no stranger to the radio land. He's been uh, with uh, Middle Tennessee State University. But I want you to learn all about Kent and his background, where he was born, where he got started, his political activity, which makes him a great forecaster of elections. Kent, good morning. Uh, good morning, Bill. Thank you for, for having me on. Born where? Born in Winchester, just uh, a little ways uh, south of here in Franklin County. And what was your educational professional uh, growth? Well, I um, went to Franklin County High and came to MTSU and uh, basically stayed. Um, <clears throat> I uh, came to MTSU thinking I wanted to be a, a journalist. And uh, then I found out that uh, typing and spelling were important, <laughs> so I, I went into politics. <laughs> and your political uh, resume, uh, could you share that? Sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I got involved in... Um, uh, in student government at MTSU, and um, eventually uh, became student body president there. And I met um, a guy named Bart Gordon, who had been uh, student body president a few years before. And uh, we ended up <clears throat> working together for Bob Clement when he ran for governor in, in 1978. And uh, I was uh, Bob's sound truck driver. <laughs> wow, wow. So we had, we had a, a van, and I would drive it around the state. It had big speakers on it, and Bob would make speeches on uh, county squares. And you could probably... Uh, memorize the speeches have having have been done I, so long. I still know those speeches from today. <laughs> so from there, you worked with Bart. Yeah, from from there, I um, I you know went ahead, finished school, and a week before I graduated, uh, Bart asked me to be his uh, administrative assistant at the Tennessee Democratic Party. He had just mm -hmm. become chair of the party, and I did that for two years, and then. We stopped doing that and started campaigning for Congress. He, um, Howard Baker, who was our U.S. Senator, he retired, and Albert Gore Jr. ran for that seat, which opened up his sixth congressional district seat, which Bart ran for. And uh, we, so we spent a year doing that. And then, you know, fortunately, uh, 26 years, uh, Bart was in office. So wow. up until, you know, he came, uh, we retired from that in uh, early 2011. And uh, that's when uh, I had been adjunct teaching at MTSU, um, as you know what that's like. Exactly. And I was teaching one course, and uh, when I started looking in 2010, knowing you know that I needed to do something different, uh, what did I? I decided you know I love teaching, and uh, I went over talked to Dr. McPhee and talked to a lot of the other people at MTSU, and mm -hmm. was fortunate enough to get them to hire me. So excellent. <laughs> See, I would love to ask Kent uh, predicting the election, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to put you on the spot of predicting the election. However, I am going to ask you for signs to look for, uh, both from the standpoint of the victory in the White House and who may or who will be carrying both the House and the Senate. Certain signs. As we chatted before airtime this morning, the amount of people that have voted already, either early voting or absentee, 
in the country has exceeded 19 million, which is extraordinarily higher than we've ever seen before prior to Election Day. So from your prognosis, uh, the next two weeks, what should we be looking for? Are there certain uh, benchmarks along the way we should be identifying? Well, you, you hit up on, hit on one of them, uh, you know, turnout, <clears throat> how, it, you know, enthusiasm, uh, you know, which side is fired up. I think everyone's fired up. Uh, how much of this turnout, as we discussed earlier, how much of this turnout is enthusiasm or just trying to get it done to avoid Election Day? You know, will we drop off on Election Day? And I think the key to the next, um, you know, two and a half weeks uh, is for President Trump is he's got to expand his base. Um, I looked back yesterday at what President Trump was polling a year ago. It was 43 percent. Yesterday, it was 42.3%. So, and it's been amazingly consistent. So that's the national poll. Not, and he doesn't need, you know, he doesn't need to win the popular vote. He's just got to win the electoral like he did last time. But you can't get enough electoral votes at 43%. He's going to have to get more in the 47 probably range. Um, so can he, can he start building on that 42, 43% he's setting on now? Well, we take a look at, in the course of we briefly talked before, how seriously are we taking polling this time? Uh, even on the real clear, as an average of uh, a number of polling, how many of those may be identifying certain type of constituencies to ask? How many of those are asking certain questions and so forth? Uh, would you possibly say that of the 50 states, probably 40, we can identify which way they're going to go? Yeah, they're, they're probably so. We, I've got a class uh, studying uh, the swing states mm -hmm. and studying the House and Senate races. And, you know, there are probably no more than 10, 15, 10 or 15 At the very most, that might yeah. be in doubt. And, and amazingly, you know, it's the ones that are always are. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's, mm -hmm. you can just go through them. You know, Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio to some extent, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, you know, North Carolina, all of those. But we got a couple of more interesting ones this time. Georgia is kind of in play. If, you know, again, we're relying on polling and that's all we have. And, and like you said, it's it gets more and more difficult to poll because a lot of people simply won't talk to you. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't trust telling people how they're going to vote. Um, and then it's all based on turnout models. And, exactly. you, you know, your poll is no good if you can't predict who's going to actually go vote. So there are a lot of variables there. The one bit of information, of course, is probably way too early to uh, secure. But uh, since the early voting has begun uh, two, two days ago in some of the states, uh, has there been any interview of uh, the early voter after they've left the uh, precinct? Not the uh, absentee voter or the mail voter. Has there been any preliminary uh, uh, questions of the voter who's left the precinct? Yeah, I, and you know, not that I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, that exit polling a lot of times is very, very, you know, helpful. I know that um, most media operations are hesitant to release, you know, exit poll information until polls close on election day. So sure. uh, I haven't seen any. I would imagine someone's doing some some research there because that is a, you know, there, there's no better person to talk with than those that just voted. And if they be honest with you, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Query. Uh, 
have we experienced so many different events on a day-by-day basis, whether it's a factor of the Biden family situation or whether it's a factor of coronavirus or whether it's a factor actually coming out uh, next Friday, the uh, GDP uh, for Mm -hmm. the third quarter. How much new news will the voter withstand in order to ultimately go to the poll, make the decision, or would you assume that most voters already have made their decision? I think most voters have made up their minds. Um, <clears throat> that doesn't mean there can't be enough of a shift mm-hmm. to make some difference because, you know, you've last election things broke a little bit late for President Trump. Mm-hmm. And we got to remember, he won, if you go Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan, where he put the where he won the race, he won those by a cumulative ninety thousand votes, and so that's not many. That's just a small tenth of a percent, you know, victory. So a few votes can make a big difference. Well, you're saying the point that every vote counts. It does. So it, it, for those who are listening, if you're debating whether you're going to vote or not, your vote can count. Any uh, predictions locally within Rutherford County or Murfreesboro or within the state of Tennessee, for example? It's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch what happens in Rutherford County, Mm -hmm. the Sumner County, uh, you know, Wilson County. I I, I get, you know, Tennessee is is bright red. There's Mm -hmm. there's dark red, whatever you want to call it. Uh, But um, the urban areas have been the only places for Democrats. It's going to be interesting to see if Democrats are making progress in places like Murfreesboro. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so watching those Murfreesboro precincts, watching some of our local, uh, you know, congressional race, state house race uh, races, it is, let's, is, is, the, is the Democratic Party ready for a comeback in Rutherford County? Uh, and even carrying it to the nonpartisan races, do you see anything bright, or does it look pretty standard? Uh, city council. Uh? Well, as far as I, you know, I haven't. I think we've gotten most of those out of the way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and and fortunately, uh, you know, with our certainly the Murfreesboro City Council's done a really good job, like you said, of staying nonpartisan. And correct. There's enough partisan politics out there, right? So. Yeah, we have. And within the statewide election, uh, you don't necessarily see any significant change in the uh, U.S. Senate. I don't. I, I think uh, you know Bill Haggerty uh, is uh, coasting. Um, you know, that Democratic primary uh, was very, very interesting. You know, Marquita Bradshaw yes. really came from nowhere, uh, spent just a few thousand dollars, beat a individual that the Democratic establishment thought, uh, uh, you know, James Mackler was going to be, walk away with it, and uh, and she won. So she, she does a great job organizing. I, you know, she uh, certainly is a, a worthy candidate, but you can't... Uh, the Democratic Party loses very miserably in these rural counties. I understand. And it, it, that's going to make it very tough for them. Now, going back to the partisanship, we saw even in 2016 that the Republicans may or may not have been as unified as one would look back in history because uh, when Trump won the nomination, left a lot of sour taste among the traditional Republicans, the Bush folks, for example. Right. And, uh, right. and today we look at the Democratic Party and how difficult do you think 
It is to create a relationship between the moderate and the progressive wings of the Democratic Party. It's hard. I mean, it, it is uh, the, the moderate Republicans and Trump Republicans struggle and, and moderate Democrats and certainly uh, social Democrat or progressive Democrats struggle. I think as we go back to 16, the great uniter of the Republican Party was Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. The great uniter of the Democratic Party this year is Donald Trump. So I think if you look, progressives and you know conservative Democrats are all kind of putting that behind them. Their, their one goal is to defeat Donald Trump, just like the Republicans' one goal was to defeat Hillary, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. Yeah. So what you're talking about is the likability or dislikability of a candidate perhaps may be a greater issue than bread and butter issues, uh, economics and so forth. It can. And, mm-hmm. you know, in this polarized time when it, we, you know, a lot of people have very, very deep feelings about their politics. It's mm-hmm. become very tribal. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, unfortunately, I don't think it's good for the system. But, yeah, I think the a lot of it is just dislike for a candidate drives emotions. From your perspective, being in the classroom, uh, seeing young men and young women, uh Asking those who are 18 and over, how passionate are you about voting? How passionate are you, are you about politics? From my perspective in uh, American government classes, American politics classes, and so forth, you see an awareness, you see a knowledge, and maybe this is Middle Tennessee, maybe this is our state university system, have not seen the passion, at least among the students, as one might have seen in the 2008-2012 elections on Barack Obama and the mm-hmm. young folks. Certainly didn't see the young folks passionate in 2016. Uh, and that's an important segment, the 18 to 21, 18 to 22. Have you seen any passion to speak of? I've seen interest. I don't know if I see passion. And part of that may be that, you know, the combined ages of the two candidates is 151. <laughs> that's so, uh, but, uh, you know, I think they... they I'm, you know, and you're you're there uh, with me. And it, the students are interested. They're passionate. They're intelligent, and uh, they're trying to make sense out of this, like everyone else. Where would you suggest, or how would you suggest? Because I even have this quandary myself. How do you balance where objective information comes from? Yeah, it's, it's, do, you, do you look at both sides and you, you say you, somewhere yeah. in the middle is the norm? Yeah, you've got to. You, you know, and I, I preach it almost every day. You've, you can't silo yourself. You've got to get information from a lot of different media outlets. And you've got to, you know, you've re- you really got to be a good consumer of information. And, uh, and yet, how do you strike out the emotion and strike out what's left on the fact. It's hard. You've got to become somewhat objective, and not many of us are very objective anymore. (laughs) You know, and also, and I love to have students predict, I love to have people project, let's let's assume it's a reality. This election has come and gone. Would you begin, even at this early stage, to make predictions of 2024? Wow. You know, chances are we'll have different faces because even if Joe Biden wins, he'd be 81 running for re-election. So, you know, it, it may be um, it may be wide open. But um, on the other hand, if Donald Trump wins, 
You see Pence automatically? I think Mike Pence, I think, you know, Kamala Harris and Mike Pence have to be the first two you think of when you think of 2024, but there are going to be a lot of people in that race. Well, and there's also something, and if you look back at history, the vice presidential candidate on the ticket, whose ticket does not win, very seldom has an easy opportunity of picking up the head of the ticket four years later. Yeah. You want to go back to Ryan uh, in uh, 2000, Paul Ryan, and you want to go back anywhere down the vice presidential mm -hmm. candidates. Somebody said Admiral Stockwell, who's he, <laughs> and so forth. Do you think uh, next Thursday's debate is going to be significant, or do you think it's more of a curiosity? I think it's some of both, and, and I think it might be significant even with a small group of people. If it's significant with a small group of people in a close race, it can make a difference. Well, everybody go out to vote. It's most important. If you haven't now, take the time. Be safe. Be healthy. And certainly be wise as you vote. We've been very fortunate to have a wonderful gentleman, a true asset of MTSU, certainly one of the most knowledgeable folks in the political analysis in Middle Tennessee. Thank you so very much, uh, Ken Seiler. It's been great to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me.